you guys can be seated. And um, why don't you take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Exodus. Uh, the book of Exodus, if you don't have a Bible, uh, our ushers are coming around. You can just get their attention. They would love to give you one, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. And uh, we're going to be in Exodus, uh, really starting in chapter 7. i got to tell you, uh, man, it is good to be back with you again. I uh, missed you last week, heard you had a great time, and uh, we had an awesome time celebrating with another church up there uh, in, in Pennsylvania. It was a privilege to be able to just hear how God is using their church, but um, I... I love being here. This, this post is pretty sweet, and, and it's just been pretty cool to uh, get back and realize, like, I love you. This is family, and I'm so glad for, uh, to be a part of what God is doing here. And uh, so why don't you go to Exodus chapter 7, and as you're turning there, um, I just want to tell you that, that um, all of us have probably experienced at some point in our life trusting in something that let us down. You Redskins fans, uh, <laughs> didn't have to say much, right? Actually, you could probably insert any of your favorite sports teams in that point. Like, you got all fired up, got excited, and then they blew it and let you down. Or, or, or maybe you put your trust in the drive through window at McDonald's to get your order right, only to drive away and realize they skipped your fries and you have no dipping sauce for your nuggets. Like, what are you supposed to do with that? Or, or worse, maybe you trusted Starbucks to get it right and make it decaf, and about two o'clock in the morning you're realizing they failed you miserably in that. Or um, ladies, maybe um, you asked your husband you to uh, take out the trash, and you were trusting that when you did that, the job got done, right? I would love to tell you that Carissa has never experienced that uh, kind of disappointment before. It's not true. Sometimes the situation gets a little more serious, though. You're trusting a, a, a realtor to come through on the paperwork, or you're trusting a, a doctor to perform surgery, or trusting your manager or your boss to treat you fairly and, and, and uh, uh, give clear expectations and give you what you need to get the job done, or we're trusting in the president or the government to protect us and to uh, you know, kind of navigate these intense international situations. Sometimes you've, you've, you've probably heard uh, this adage that, that you need to be careful who you trust. Be careful who you trust. Okay, so we're going to look at these plagues here, and I want you to remember that Egypt, all right, Egypt is this confident superpower with all sorts of gods that they believe are watching over them and protecting them and, and providing for them. And what we're going to see is God is just going to rock them with these 10 plagues to show them the foolishness of, uh, of their misplaced trust in the false gods, and, and even in their own strength. Be careful who you trust. Careful who you trust. Now, now I'm not telling you that, that you shouldn't listen to your doctor and you should never uh, trust your Starbucks uh, barista ever again. But what I am saying is this, that, that, that if we're ultimately putting our trust in anything but the Lord, it's going to let us down. And these ten plagues, as we watch God work, man, it ought to just convince us that there's no one like our God. 
That's one of the things that we want to see here. In fact, uh, just, just to kind of recap, remember where we were. Before this battle uh, even starts, we kind of already know what's coming. We know uh, the end before it began because uh, if you remember at the beginning of chapter 7, we kind of got this little preview. At the beginning of chapter 7, we saw Aaron took his staff and he went into the presence of Pharaoh and he threw it down and it became a snake, Right? And then all the Egyptian magicians, they did the same thing. They kind of reciprocated, and their staffs became uh, snakes as well. But it, it kind of became obvious that ultimately they're no match for the power of God because Aaron's staff, the text said, swallowed up their staffs. And, and that word uh, we saw is really only used two places in the book of Exodus, here and then in chapter 15, that kind of foreshadows what's coming because Pharaoh's army is swallowed up by the waters of the Red Sea. God gets the victory. He wins in the end. And um, so here we are going to look at these uh, 10 plagues, even though we know what's coming. I'm just going to tell you, buckle up, baby, because the next two weeks we are going to, I don't think I've ever actually done this before, we are going to try to preach through five chapters in two weeks. Um, all right, and, and so we're going to try to go through 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 and look at these, first of all, just the nine plagues. And so obviously that means we're going to have to approach the text a little bit differently. All right, I'm not going to be reading every single word here. I kind of wrestled with how to organize this. Maybe we could organize this thematically, but then I was afraid we might actually miss kind of the, 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 the narrative progression here. And, and so I, I want to just go at this um, at one at a time and and we may not cover everything, there's a lot here, but I want you to feel the inevitable uh, march towards the end and some of the themes that kind of emerge along the way, but without missing the, the, the big overall picture here, okay? There's really one main message in uh, the plagues. The, the point is this, that the Lord is going to make himself known, and he is superior to any other power, okay? I hope that's really clear. I hope uh, that that stands out. And uh, loud and clear, you don't miss that. So, so let's get an overview here. I've got a chart, actually. Uh, let's put this up here on the screen. Uh, so here are the ten plagues. And you, know, you kind of notice that some commentators actually recognize that there might be uh, three cycles in there in the first nine. I kind of organized those for you. And, and, uh, and, and you can also see some of the results, what really happens in light of those. Sometimes Pharaoh is hardening his heart. Other times it's the Lord that is hardening his heart. And all of this is just trying to uh, prove to you this overwhelming sense of like, Pharaoh deserves what's coming to him. But the Lord is sovereignly orchestrating and ensuring that judgment is going to happen. So today we're going to look at just these first two cycles. We're going to look at uh, the first six plagues. All right, we're going to do our best to get through all of those and and uh, this is not going to be uh, my typical two to three point outline, okay? There's really just one big idea. That's it. There's just like one, uh, uh, one lesson as this story progresses that I want you to get, okay? So if you're taking notes, this is the only thing you got to write down. Worship and put your trust in the Lord alone. Like, honestly, I think that's the biggest thing that we need to learn here, and, and, and the Lord's been pressing that on my heart. It's something that I, it sounds like, yeah, of course, but... Um, I, I hope that as you see the story progressing, you're going to realize just how foolish it is to put your trust in anything else. It really is. 
and, and, and we're going to get a bigger view of God here. We're about to watch him put on this incredible display of his power and his sovereignty and his wrath and his judgment, also his, his, his mercy and his grace. And as, as we see that, uh, it, it really ought to cause us to just stand back in awe of God. And that ought to be application enough that we would really just worship him and, and, and learn to trust him more than we ever have before in our lives. I think as we go through this, if only uh, the nation of Israel had learned this lesson once and for all, as they're watching God take out Egypt, they should never have doubted his power again. I mean, look what he can do. But I want you to remember this as we, as we go through this. It's, it's easy for us to dump on the bad guys, but I want you to remember that the same idolatrous heart in the Egyptians is the same idolatrous heart in Israel. And it's the same heart in us. I know we don't um, worship the sun or the Nile River or have a, a plurality of gods and idols that we physically bow down to and offer sacrifices to, but um, we're prone to look to all sorts of other things to find our uh, security and to give us uh, comfort and to give us happiness and and instead of really trusting the Lord and worshiping him alone. And so it's just this big idea that we would worship him and trust him alone. And, and here comes God's powerful display of who he is just to remind us of that. So, so let's look at the first one. Here we go. We're going to go through six plagues today. We're going to look at the first, the water turned to blood. And I know we're not going to read everything, but we're going to read a lot just to get going here. Okay, chapter 7, starting in verse 14. Uh, this is the water turned to blood, the first plague. Let's just see what God says. The, the Lord said, verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as, he go, as he's going to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. And the fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. Skip down to verse 20. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of the servants, he lifted up the staff and he struck the water in the Nile and all the water in the Nile turned into blood and the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. He did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water from the Nile. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So immediately, here we go, the battle starts. Immediately, the question is, who's in charge here? Who's, who's in control? And, and, and a lot of scholars will actually point out the fact that, that in their thinking, in the Egyptian, uh, the, the, their uh, worldview, and in kind of in their theology, the Egyptians actually looked to Pharaoh as more than just a man. They, they saw him as this divine king. And so one of his responsibilities was to maintain and to sustain uh, balance in the world. Problem, he can't do that. 
He didn't make it. Only the Lord. God is the one who made the universe. And so what we see him doing is he starts to use his creation here to show his power and to show who's really in charge. And just in case you uh, didn't see it, uh, verse 14, this, this, we're, we're going to see this phrase over and over. Uh, right at the beginning of verse 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Then the Lord said to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses. That phrase is actually repeated with every single plague, just emphasizing that God's word is central to these acts of judgment, and everything is happening just as he said it would. God is in control. God's in control here. But but let's step back and just ask, like, why why the Nile River? Why start there? What's what's the point is there some significance there? I think uh, Peter Enns is kind of help, helpful on this one. Uh, there's a, uh, maybe a couple of reasons why God starts there, but one of them might be this. Remember that uh, Pharaoh, back in chapter 1, had actually used the Nile River himself to try to wipe out the Hebrews. Remember that? He said, listen, if, if, if any of the Hebrew women have a baby and it's a boy, I want you to take that boy and chuck him in the river. Just kill them all. Get rid of them. And this is this, this horrible mass genocide. It was, it, it was awful. And, and in this ironic twist now, you see God is taking the very weapon that Pharaoh had used and he's turning it around on him. Kind of some uh, just retribution. Enemies beware. The enemies of God can attack his people, but God can just flip the script on them. Don't don't we see that in the cross? You think about the enemies of God and how they they must have thought that they had used this Roman tool for torture and execution and finally got rid of the Son of God. But, But in this glorious twist in the story, the cross actually ensures Jesus' victory over sin and death. God is in control, and he wins in the end. Maybe another reason that he starts with the Nile, God is starting the judgment of Egypt with water, and because we know the end of the story, we know that he's actually going to then use the waters of the Red Sea to finish the job. So it's kind of like he, he, he bookends his judgment with water. And this first plague then is just kind of showing us what's coming. God's going to win. I think the most obvious reason that he used the Nile is that uh, the Nile River is really the lifeblood of Egypt. Okay, this, is, this is at the heart of their uh, economic prosperity and their social life. I mean, it is their, their greatest resource that they have. It's a reason that they're a superpower at this point. And uh, Dr. Tony Morita said, taking out the Nile would be for us like cutting off all, all, all the oil supplies and the stock market crashing and drinking water being contaminated and no food in the grocery store. What God is doing here, he, God is attacking the very thing that they rely on for their security and their prosperity and their provision. It's like one of those things that you just kind of take for granted until it's gone and you didn't realize how much you needed it. I don't know if you remember this. A few years ago, back in 2013, there was a, a, a carnival cruise ship that got 
stranded out at sea for like five days. You remember that? And it's kind of crazy. Can you just imagine things that you just take for granted? And all of a sudden, this ship has no power. And apparently there were over uh, 4,000 people that are stuck on this boat. No power, no running water, no air conditioning. Apparently it got so hot, they're like camping out on the decks of these places. And they can't use the toilets, which is getting really gross. And they're running out of food. And they're running out of water. And I imagine their cell phones are absolutely worthless. I mean, it was just a nightmare, okay? Just imagine you're on that boat and you lose something like that. That's the kind of panic that I think is setting in here for all of the Egyptians. This isn't a, this isn't a spectacle. This is not some magic trick where they're like, oh, look at that. That's kind of cool. I mean, check that. First of all, what do, you, what do you think happened to all the people that are squeamish at the sight of blood? I mean, how many Egyptians do you think kind of like took one look at that and they're like, oh, start passing out all over the place, right? And second of all, I think every single Egyptian realized just how devastating the loss of the Nile River would be and what that threat meant for their way of life. They're so dependent on it and God is rocking their stability here. Sometimes life has a way of rattling us too, right? When our world starts to shake a little bit and we realize just how frail life is and how uh, quickly these things that we could, we don't even realize that we're trusting in for security and provision, we just, in the blink of an eye, it's just gone. We can lose it all. You can uh, have some unexpected expense that just wipes out your nest egg or your stocks take a bad turn or you lose your job. Didn't expect it, and all of a sudden I'm packing up my office and walking out or I miss a promotion that I was expecting and hoping for. I thought this was really going to be a solution for some things going on in my life, and now it's not happening. Or, or, Or your boss or the government says you're moving out. They're sending you somewhere else. Or you experience some sort of tragedy that just flips your whole world and all your plans upside down. I think sometimes we may not even realize that we've been ultimately trusting in something other than God for our security. If you are, that's idolatry. And it's really foolish. Like, can we really trust in anything else? Only he is the creator. Only he is the sustainer. And the question is, like, are, are, are you really aware? Do you, do, you, do you know that you are absolutely dependent on the Lord? And are you thankful for the ways that God has provided? The things that he has given you? What if the Lord decided that he was going to take away some of the things that, that give you a sense of, of security? Like he's going to take away your job or your home or your health, whatever it is. I, I've been thinking about what that means here in Fairfax because um, most people in Fairfax are relatively young. And 
we're kind of in the invincible stage of life. And so we don't always face these things. We don't always think about them. We don't always uh, realize that the reality is all of these things could be gone in a moment. And I just wonder, if the Lord, if the Lord took some of those things away, would you still trust him? Would you still trust him? Would you be able to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord? Or do you feel like you need some of these other things more than him? I think the, the gospel actually helps us here because the hope that Jesus gives us for eternity puts everything into perspective, doesn't it? Because we know what's coming, we're able to see this world, it's just, it's just temporary. I think about the scope of eternity, and we're here for how long? And when you realize the, the hope that we have in Jesus and, and, and what is to come for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, and it means that we can trust the Lord to provide. And he is going to give us not always what we want, but exactly what we need until he takes us home to be with him. Even some of the things that we think are needs. Like God doesn't always promise that he's always going to give you food. He's always going to give you good health. Eventually, that's going to run out. But God knows exactly what we need until he calls us home. And because we have that hope in Christ, we're able to look and say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because our security is in him. We trust the Lord. See, Egypt is having to learn the hard way. It's really foolish to trust in anything else. And God is going uh, striking right at the heart of their false worship. See, they actually also believed that the, the Nile River was somehow divine. At least it kind of uh, played a prominent role in the worship of their gods. And so our God here is going after their false gods and idols with these ten plagues. In fact, uh, you think about the way this worked in that culture. Uh, at, at that time, uh, any war between nations at this point in history, uh, it was seen as a battle of the gods. That's what it was. Whenever there were people groups that were feuding with one another, it's a battle of the gods. It comes down to whose God is more powerful. And we discover this in archaeology, really helps us understand our history because we look around at all these cities in the Middle East and we see cities built on top of cities and just kind of layered on top of one another because as one country would come in, one nation conquers another city, they just level that thing and then they build their city on top of it. And if your God defeats their city, it means that your God is more powerful and your God is victorious. And so you walk in and you destroy their God's temple and you build your God's temple right on top of theirs just to stick it to them. It's a battle of the gods. Whose God is more powerful? You gotta remember, Pharaoh doesn't give a rip that the Hebrews have a God. Egypt's got plenty of gods. But the thing that offended Pharaoh is that the God of Israel says he is the God and that Pharaoh, is, he's demanding that Pharaoh submit to him and obey. And Pharaoh doesn't like that. 
And so what God is doing here is he's attacking this. He's attacking the very heart of what they believe in and what they trust in. And he is making himself known and attacking the false gods of Egypt. In fact, let me put this on the screen for you. We're going to see this in just a a few chapters. Exodus chapter 12, he gives us a little bit of the purpose. Verse 12, he says this, On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. God is proving that he is more powerful and he is the authority that everyone must submit to. He is God alone. He's God alone. And so, so, so even though uh, these magicians, they're able to kind of replicate this sign, right? They, they, they can take some of the water and they make it blood too. The problem is even though they do that, uh, they're, here, here they are like digging for water along because they can't clean it up. It's a mess. And they start realizing they're kind of in trouble here. And so because of that, Pharaoh just hardens his heart, and then we come to the second plague. The second plague is frogs. Check this out, chapter 8. Chapter 8 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. That ought to scare you. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people, into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come upon you and all your people and all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools. Make the frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But... The magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt as well. Then check this, verse 8. And then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. So Moses goes and talks to uh, the Lord, verse 13, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died in the houses and the courtyards and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart. And would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So this one's almost comical, isn't it? Frogs. Some, some, some of you are thinking, that's kind of cute. You know, like little, little frogs. Others of you are getting hungry. You're like, when are we going frog gigging, right? We're going to go down to the, uh, no, like, anybody been frog gigging in here? Like, eat some frog legs? I knew Scott would do that. Uh, but here's the deal. It is, it, is, it is not cute. It is not appetizing because they're everywhere. You know what happens when you pick up a frog and you hold a frog? You know what happens, right? You hold a frog. It pees all over you. It's gross. That's kind of the point here. Like you, you, you just imagine trying to sleep at night, and these things are hopping all over you. They're in the sheets, and you, you go to try to take a bite out of your shawarma, and they're jumping out at you. I mean, this, it's disgusting. That's the point here. But I, I think it's also possible that this is a direct attack on one of their gods. I've, I've got a picture of one of these. This is Heket 
the uh, frog goddess got a, a frog face. She's kind of pretty, huh? And, and like this, this apparently was a symbol of life and fertility because they would come out of the Nile. So what God is doing, it's very possible that this is just kind of a direct attack. Just in case you missed it, this is a battle of the gods. And it's got to be kind of embarrassing that here's their God who's supposed to be controlling the frog population, can't keep it under control. And then the magicians come out, and they're able to make some frogs. They're like, ha, we can do that too. And then they start realizing, like, oh, my goodness, I think we made it worse, and, and, and we can't do anything to stop it. And so, so finally, finally, uh, first time we see Pharaoh start to actually, he says, plead with the Lord. Plead with the Lord to take this away. And, and, he, and he tells them that he's going to let them go. I love this. So Moses says that God's going to cut off the frogs, verse 10, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. You got that? Whose God is more powerful? It's foolish to trust in anything else. I think there's also some some irony and a little bit of a harbinger in what's to come because you've got these frogs, which for them are the symbol of life, and here they are lying around them dead. It's also kind of humorous because back in chapter 5, I don't remember this, but um, after Moses had gone in and first talked to Pharaoh, Pharaoh wasn't really all excited about that. And so the children of Israel kind of got mad at Moses and they said, Moses, you're making us stink in the sight of Pharaoh. Now we have heaps of dead frogs and it says the land began to stink. Who stinks now? Who's in charge? Who's more powerful? But Pharaoh still hardens his heart. In fact, he actually reneges on his promise. He lied. He's not letting him go. And so we come to the third plague, the gnats, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. Verse 18, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So frogs are kind of gross. Gnats are just annoying. You imagine, like, you can't get rid of this. Like, you got this little buzzing in your ear, and, and, and uh, I don't know why this is, but uh, gnats always just gravitate towards your eyeballs. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you just imagine how annoying this must have been? But, but the emphasis here in the text is really on the humiliation of Egypt's magicians here. They're trying to keep up, right? And, and, and for the first two, they did okay. We were able to make some blood, and I could make some frogs, but, but, but here they are. We're only three plagues in, and they're already tapping out. They're like, we can't do it. We, we tried. They got KO'd in the third round. We still got seven more to go. And they look at him, and they just, this, this is the finger of God. What is God proving? There is no one like the Lord. No one can do what he does. There is no power greater than him. I think that's pretty cool. Next time you're trying to like dig a gnat out of your eye, like just, just remember that that's all it took for God to really prove that he is more powerful, greater than the greatest nation on earth at the time. That's all it took. Nobody can do what he does. And I remember, I, I, I think, um, 
even in our world today, nations can seem incredibly uh, powerful and intimidating, right? We, we think of China, we think of, of Russia, we think of North Korea, we think of some of these, some, some of these superpowers and, and, and the danger that they pose. And you can spend a lot of time scrolling through the news and start freaking out about what's going to happen. But all you have to do is open up your Bible and realize that none of them stand a chance before the Lord Almighty, the creator of the universe. I, I, this happened yesterday. I was, I was out um, with, with my kids, and I was at a place where um, we, we, my kids were watching a movie on my phone, and so I was kind of stuck waiting. I, I had nothing to do for about a half an hour, and I was sitting there. They've got the phone. I don't have a phone. You ever done that? You ever, you ever gotten, uh, you're, you're like, I, there's nothing I can do. There's nowhere I can go. I'm just here, and, and, and I can't reach down for my phone and waste time on it. Like, I had to sit there for 30 minutes, and, and I began to realize that I think we spend a little too much time looking down and our phones and, and, and this constant, monotonous, droning noise and information overload. And, and in fact, I was, I was uh, filling up my uh, tank of gas this morning, and we've even got uh, gas station TV because, God forbid, we stand there for three minutes and not be, like, sucked into a screen, right? Like, they, we're just, like, constantly looking down and just, uh, uh, listen, I, this might sound random, but I think sometimes we need to just put down our phone and go outside and look up. When was the last time you did that? God's word and God's creation are speaking. And let them remind you that he is glorious and, and that he is powerful. And I know the world is messed up, and I know there's stuff going on that's kind of, kind of scary, but we do not live in fear because we're putting our trust in the one who made it all and the one who is sovereign over all the world. I read in the Psalms this morning, to you I lift up my eyes, the one who is enthroned in the heavens. I think we need to spend a little bit more time going out, looking up at God's creation and remembering who's powerful and who is the one who sustains all of these things. These plagues, though, I think one commentator said they're, they're kind of like the decreation of what God has made. The Egyptians are experiencing chaos, but God's still in control over it. So then we get to the fourth, the fourth plague of flies. Pharaoh still hardens his heart, and so God now sends swarms of flies. But something unique happens with this plague. I want you to look at this. Chapter 8, verse 22. Check this out. Verse 22. It says, God, God says this, But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. This is the first time, this is why maybe this is a new cycle, because we're, we're seeing God at the first time making a distinction between his people and Pharaoh's people. It's kind of like he's shielding his people from this, and he's just like, boom, y'all get flies, check this out. My people don't get any. He's protecting them. He's in, in, in the midst of this judgment of God, then we see mercy. But don't, don't, don't forget, it's not because Israel is more deserving. Their hearts are just as sinful as Egypt. But God is showing his undeserved mercy and grace to his people 
Because he loves them. Like right in the heart of the parables, we get this awesome picture of God's plan for salvation then. That God chooses sinners like you and me, not because we were deserving of it, but because he loves us. I think about this. God separates us. He sets us apart so that we will not come under his wrath and judgment. Have you considered that today? When you step outside and you see the magnificence and the power of this creator and you realize he's a holy God, and we're not going to experience his judgment and wrath. And it's not because he arbitrarily decided that our sin wasn't really that big of a deal and he's just going to, you know, let it go. This, this holy God who is, who is righteous and just in his judgment of sin, the reason that we're not going to experience his wrath is because he poured out his wrath on his son. And Jesus was crushed in our place. So sinners can be forgiven and instead of coming under the judgment and the wrath of God, we have peace with God. I stood outside this morning just thinking, man, I, this great and glorious God, I have, a, I have a relationship with him. And I'm not terrified of what's to come because of Christ. And we have the hope of eternal life with him in glory. That's why we worship him. Because of his mercy and his grace to us. So God is showing that he is in control. He's going to rescue his people. But here Pharaoh does it again. He, starts, he kind of starts to sound like he's going to let them go at first. He starts kind of negotiating with them. He's like, I'll let you go, but just, just don't, go, don't, don't go very far. Okay? And he wants Moses to plead with the Lord for him. But as soon as the flies are gone, he does it again. He hardens his heart. And so then we get the fifth plague, the Plague of the livestock, chapter 9 now, the beginning of chapter 9, verse 3. Verse 3 says, The hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock in the field. So it's possible this is another direct attack against one of their gods. i got a picture of this one. This is uh, Apis, the bull god. It's very possible that God was basically just going right at their false worship again, or maybe there were some other gods here, but are you kind of picking up on this theme that God is more powerful and that trusting and worshiping anything else is just kind of stupid? Are you getting that? We should be getting that by now. This would have been a pretty significant economic hit to see your livestock getting wiped out, though. I mean, that'd be like looking at just watching dollar signs dropping in the fields. Don't trust your money. That's not our security. We trust in the Lord alone. But I want you to also notice this is the, this is the first plague that brings death. Now, I know it's not the death of people, but, but the, the severity here, the threat level is starting to rise. This is getting serious. But Pharaoh's heart is still hard. And so we come to the sixth plague. Verse 8, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils. 
breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air. It became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken. So now uh, it's getting even worse. The Egyptians themselves, up until this point, it's like they, they haven't been touched, uh, but now they are beginning to be physically afflicted themselves. They're feeling it. It's getting worse. And the magicians, here's the emphasis, they, this is, they, they can't even stand before Moses at this point. I mean, they are absolutely humiliated. These are the guys that are supposed to be able to come up with some sort of solution to relieve the pain, but they can't do anything. But they still don't look to the one who can. The Lord is the one. He's the only one who can heal. Who's the one that we should worship and trust? God's sitting up there. He's like, have I gotten your attention yet? Do you get it? But verse 14, check this out. This is different. Up until this point, we've seen Pharaoh hardening his heart. Now verse 14, uh, excuse me, verse 12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. God did that. Because he's not done. And he is going to make sure that they know who he is. And we're going to see his judgment and salvation getting darker, it's getting heavier, it's getting more severe. We're going to stop right there. We know what's coming. Because we know what's coming, we're actually, I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come now. We're going to, we're going to take communion right now. I told you it's like one big point that we're supposed to get here, that we would worship and trust the Lord alone. You know the reason that we do that is because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And so I know we don't, we don't bow down to a bunch of idols. We don't have false gods by name like they did, but maybe it's uh, possible that there's some things that you need to really kind of repent of right now, some things that you've been trusting in. I just want to encourage you, before we take communion, let's just take a minute and let's uh, spend some one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord. And I encourage you right where you're at to just uh, spend a couple minutes just praying to the Lord. And maybe you do. Maybe you need to repent of some of those things and, and say, Lord, I've been running after this. I've been looking for this for, for security, for comfort, for my happiness. And I, I think maybe I'm trusting in this. I just want to get rid of that. And I want to remember that you're it. You're the only one I can trust. And then praise him and thank him for the forgiveness that you have. That you don't have to face the wrath of God. That he is setting you apart from that because of what his son did for you on the cross. Let's spend a couple minutes just praying to the Lord.
Lord, I confess that uh, I read this story sometimes and it seems distant and remote and uh, I look at Egypt and they're just the bad guys and they deserve this, but it's not distant. This is the same story going on in my heart that I I do run after some other things and think this is going to make me happy and I'm trusting in this. Lord, forgive me of that. God, I thank you that, that we have your favor. And I'm a child of God and I can come barging into the throne room and interrupt my father anytime I need. Because you welcome us in. You've set us apart. We're not going to experience your wrath and judgment because of what Jesus did. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that we don't have to clean ourselves up to come to church and to stand before you. You wash us. We give you praise for that. Lord, we thank you for being willing to humble yourself and to take the plagues and the wrath of God on yourself so that we could be forgiven, we could be set free. We love you for that. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray.